Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast brought to you by Lindenwood University's Hammond Institute for Free Enterprise. Examining market approaches to help solve economic and social issues, Hammond.Institute. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The gambling industry in this country is, on the one hand, extraordinarily successful, generating billions of dollars in revenue. On the other, it's generating a growing problem, gambling addiction. Whether it's going to casinos or playing the lottery, more money flows in than out to states, casino coffers, and backroom poker games. And a study conducted by our public radio collaborative Sharing America team shows that some ethnic populations are more susceptible to gambling problems than others. Joining me in studio is Holly Edgel, race, identity, and culture editor. She has overseen our Sharing America online story, Fixed Odds, Problem Gambling in America. Dr. Timothy Fong is professor of addiction psychiatry and co-director of UCLA's Gambling Studies Program. He joins us by phone. Thank you both for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to have you with us. I'll start with you, Holly. Give me, in a very general way, kind of an overview of what this Sharing America project uh, was all about. Sure. Well, we found that that several cultures, uh, there's a perfect storm of uh, cultural um, issues, uh, stigma, tradition, that kind of collide with this notion of gambling as a fun fun family activity that is completely normal and part of, of life. And then that's where you start to see the um, when the problem ga- problem gambling becomes a problem, um, there is a reluctance to seek uh, help, a relu- reluctance to seek treatment, and um, then this this sort of gambling addiction goes undiagnosed and spirals often. Dr. Fong, Fong, when does it become a problem? At what point? Well, it's very clear. Uh, when gambling no longer becomes a source of joy or a source of entertainment or raises the quality of uh, one person's life, gambling addiction, or as we call it now, gambling disorder, is a mental health condition. It's an addictive disorder. It causes harm. It causes damage to individuals, families, and society. Colloquially, we'll say it when the fun stops, but it's even more than that. It's when the harm begins. That's when I look at the line between passion versus addiction. How how exactly does it become addictive? Well, you know, very much like any other form of substance, uh, gambling starts off as rewarding, as interesting, as uh, compelling. But then somewhere along the course of the engagement and the behavior, it becomes something different. Uh, urges, cravings, uh, doing things against one moral's code, uh, losing money, losing time, losing pro- productivity. Those are the kind of the basic harmful consequences that come first. But then as it advances, it becomes even more problematic. Depression, insomnia, health problems, lying, criminal behavior, uh, a lot of really just unfortunate uh, harmful consequences. It, it is a mental health problem, therefore. Oh, absolutely. So we now have a very clear understanding of the biological, psychological, and social risk factors as well as the impact that the gambling disorder has. In the DSM-5, the manual we use to diagnose diagnose psychiatric conditions, it's listed in the substance-related and addictive disorders chapter. It is seen as an addiction no different than, say, opioid or alcohol use disorder. Holly, one of the most interesting aspects of your story is, and it concerns the fact that with all the money that flows uh, in, in and around the gambling industry, a very small percentage of that money profits to the people who run the casinos and what have you, uh, goes back to helping people with problems. 
Yes, and there's two two sides to that. The the American Gaming Association um, does have a program to um, funnel money into treatment programs, but we also know that it's a fraction of what is earned. Um, and then states have some public monies for this, but the average amount of spending on problem gambling treatment, for example, a hotline that you could call or other kinds of resources, is only 30 cents per capita. That's the average. And in Missouri, this, Missouri only spends four cents uh, per capita on problem gambling, and that would be like your 1-800-BETS-OFF hotline and other issues mm-hmm. like that. So um, the the spending is very low. Some states um, spend more. Oregon spends about $1.40. Wow. But again... Uh, that's per capita against the billions that they make from lottery. Um, and also they have video lottery there as well, as well as casinos. But that's almost 40 times as much as Missouri spends. That's right. Well, that tells us something. <laughs> <laughs> what do we know about Illinois? Do you have Yes, the, I do. I- Illinois spends $0.08 cents per capita. So double us, but still a very small fraction. And they they reaped um, about one. Well, the, the casinos there earned about one point four billion, but the state makes twice that on lottery yeah. in Illinois. Doctor Fong, given this fact that so little is spent, uh, does even a little bit make a difference? And and how is that money being spent? And how could it be spent more effectively? Oh, absolutely. Every every resource matters. You know, uh, here in California, we're very fortunate to have a large statewide treatment program where for $8 million a year, we can provide those services, but it's still not enough. And it goes back to the more fundamental question, why don't we have more? Why isn't there more of a groundswell from states and communities to say, hey, we need more help to address this problem? It goes back to, again, gambling disorder is the, quote, hidden addiction. It's not seen, you can't smell it, but you can certainly feel its impact in in families and homes. Even more so, we don't have a lot of lobbying groups. When was the last time we saw uh, a protest or a rally or people go in public and say, we need more services in our community because gambling addiction is really harming our communities? So there's a lot of variety of things here, but absolutely, uh, compared to when I first started 20 years ago, there are a lot more states with revenues, but we certainly can use a lot more. Isn't there something of a stigma associated with this, too? People might say, well, you know, these people got into this difficulty themselves. It's their fault, so too bad, so said. Oh, absolutely, and that's been true for hundreds of years and still persists this false belief that this is an issue of willpower. This is a, an example of someone's bankrupt morality. Uh, no, this is a psychiatric disease. There are brain changes that create people to do thoughts and feelings and behaviors that they would never normally do. Uh, we're finally having that conversation and we're finally beginning to understand how those differences emerge. And even more so in the ethnic uh, uh, groups, you can see how it's such a big issue. As an irony today, it's Chinese New Year, so gung hei fa choi to everyone, but it's also the, the biggest gambling day of the year for Asian uh, ethnic groups, and a lot of traditions and superstitions get wrapped into gambling that both celebrate and promote it, but also drive people away from seeking help. Holly mentioned that. One of the reasons a lot of Asian ethnic groups don't go to get help is this false belief that if I lose money today on Chinese New Year, that is my fate. That is my destiny. That is what I am doomed to become, and that cannot be corrected. Holly, it, it seems, again, referring to your story, that uh, that many of the people who have addiction problems are people of color. Well, the, the, the numbers are smaller in, in a large sense, except but the rates are higher. So uh, probably about uh, 1% of Americans in general have a problem gambling. Uh, that's about 2 million people. 
but in, for example, um, the Asian American, com- the Asian immigrant and Amer- Asian American community, it could be double that or even higher. The research has, is not complete there. Um, for Native Americans, it is more than twice the the prevalence, um, and so it, it is it is a really serious problem that that needs more attention. I have some figures in front of me here taken from your story. The gambling rates, Asian Americans, 2.3%, Native Americans, 2.3%, African Americans, 2.2%, white Americans, 1.2%, and Hispanic Americans, uh, 1%. Um, What is that telling you, uh, Doctor? Well, it tells me that it's not zero, and it tells us that there are millions of Americans and humans out there suffering from this disorder. Here in California, we've done some work showing that some Asian communities have the highest 15 up to 30 percent rates of gambling uh, disorder in their communities. And again, when you don't have universal treatment programs that you know, are accessible to all cultural groups, it sometimes can be very hard. Oftentimes people say, oh, 1%, that's not that much of a population, but that's the same percentage for, say, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and other serious mental illnesses. So, and any person enduring and suffering from gambling disorder is not just themselves, it's their families, it's their friends, it's their coworkers, it's society in general. So it has a tremendous amount of impact that for years people have not quite recognized. And for years it was always very simply, oh, that's his fault or that's her fault. They deserve to lose. When in fact, no, the, the damage and consequences they have endured can be corrected. You know, I was I was surprised to see that the rate was as high as it is in the Asian community. Not surprised to uh, to see it that high in the Native American community. Uh, what is it about uh, Asian culture and Native American culture that makes gambling so popular and prevalent? It's a fascinating question, and the work we've done is really centered on uh, Asian cultures, focusing on the on the larger Asian American cultures here in America, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and Filipinos. There tend to be so many other Asian cultures there as well. But what we've identified are some very interesting cultural factors that really promote the gambling behavior as an acceptable form of entertainment, as also an acceptable way of making money. So when you have a culture that says, hey, this is an activity we like, this is an activity that we allow across the lifespan from children to older adults to participate, and even more so, this is an activity that if you don't play, you're kind of left out, and you put all that together, it creates this, what we call demand for gambling from a lot of the larger Asian American cultures. That's not to say that every single Asian American loves gambling, it just says that it's perpetuated through traditions and cultures and celebrated. Uh, This morning, I gave our kids lucky money uh, as a sign of this the Chinese New Year, this money is considered lucky. That engenders this belief that money is good and money can bring you fame and fortune. And if you win money at gambling, then that's a really good thing. So put it all together, you create this cauldron of, 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 of culture that leads to, again, acceptance and a demand for gambling activities. That explains the Asian American side, and I'll kind of uh, let Holly weigh in on the uh, Native American sure. story. Uh, by the way, if you're sending, if handing out money today, I'll leave my address with a screener. <laughs> no, you're supposed to hand it out to a, a younger generation. Well, that leaves me out. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Holly, um, go ahead. Well, we found some something really interesting in in uh, the Native American part of this. As people may know, there are hundreds of tribal casinos and gaming facilities around the country. These uh, facilities are 
benefit their communities a great deal by providing jobs, um, helping infrastructure, and sometimes individuals in the tribes get money from the casinos. One of our experts who's based here in St. Louis said this that there's this strange intersection of wanting to um, support a local enterprise because these tribal casinos are owned by the tribes. And then that same st- sense of stigma when something goes wrong and co-occurrence with alcoholism and other issues. And then the sort of those people who all doing this culturally acceptable uh, activity, similar to what Dr. Fong was saying, and then, then, but for some people, it crosses the line. And um, I think that one of our experts in our story did say that we understand a lot more about gambling addiction today than we did when tribal gaming first became a thing, which was back in 1988. And some tribes are actually uh, proactively looking and doing research. They are putting money into this. Um, and then, of course, people in different states can avail themselves of any program that their state may have, which, as you, you, you've heard, is um, the funding for that is not, not very good. Would it be possible, Holly, to argue that uh, is, as bad as the situation is with problem gambling in the, in the uh, Native American community, that that is offset by the fact that the, the, the profit that you mentioned is, is considerable and does a lot of good? That's a good question. In fact, one of the people in our story that uh, will be airing tomorrow, it's on, it's online now, is he is a Native American who works at an Indian uh, resource center in Kansas City, and he says it's a question he asks himself all the time. You know, is it is it is it is it a double-edged sword? Is it helping? Is it hurting? He says he himself doesn't really know the answer, and he's really on the front lines. I think that in in a broad sense, a lot of good has come from the funds that accrue from casinos on on tribal lands, but again. This problem bears more research as well. Dr. Fong, how would you answer that question? Well, I think very simply is this. You know, gambling at its core is meant to bring people together. It's a form of entertainment. It's of industry. Uh, it's a part of human nature. Uh, we will always be doing this. I think mm-hmm. our, our mission is always to reduce harm and suffering and reduce emotional pain caused by gambling disorder. I think as we move forward, it's the partnerships between industry and researchers and communities and families that's so critical. You know, it's interesting, they don't talk about big casino in the same way as we talk about big tobacco. Uh, I think the casino industry has done a very nice job promoting responsible gambling. But we could do a lot more, and we have to uncover a lot more, because the stories of gambling disorder and addiction are oftentimes tucked away and hidden away in the dark resources and corners of, of people's lives. I think, for the most part, again, we have to realize that in American culture today, gambling is not going away. That's not how it was back in the 20s and 30s where it was all underground. This is who we are as Americans. It will remain and it will expand and it will spread with more technology and things like that. So we have to really have build these partnerships to have create things like warning networks for gambling addiction, early interventions for gambling, and educating you know a new generation of gamblers on what the signs are of responsible gaming versus the signs of problem and gambling disorder. Well, you've uh, alluded to the 500-pound gorilla about to enter the room, and that's online gambling. Uh, that is all poised and set to go, and uh, I would only think that that would just exacerbate uh, a problem. Yeah, people are—oh, well, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, people have their eye on this. Um, a couple of states have already um, put in legislation to le- to start 
uh, start getting online sports betting and other forms of sports betting um, going in this in this year. And other states are going to start looking at it as well. And even if you don't have it in your state, if you live in a city like St. Louis, for example, you could maybe hop over to another state to uh, to to do that. And um, you know it becomes um, another player, if you m- don't mind the pun, in this this really difficult mix of, um, I mean, you can only imagine a person, you know, in their home um, who is a gambling addict. And kids. And kids. Um, to, that's a good point. Um, really spiraling out of control and the ease of electronic funds and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it seems like a, a, a very scary prospect to me. Dr. Fong? Yeah, I mean, online gambling is already here. I mean, I could do it on my phone right now. I could do it on uh, my desktop here at UCLA. So this actually makes sense to me to embrace what I call science-based legislation, to have proper regulation, to protect consumers, to have and offer games that, again, are, are, are credible and safe. But the real scary thing is exactly that. You know, the technology advances so quickly, so rapidly. How do we, number one, ensure that no black market gambling continues, and number two, protect the most vulnerable populations from developing this disorder. It's kind of like, well, how come we don't have online tobacco and online alcohol? Well, we kind of do with vaping and other techniques that have rapidly changed the marketplace. So it's so crucial for us to not just run away from these things, but to study and examine these things thoughtfully. And when there's a signal of danger or a signature of warning, we need to stop that and alert people ahead of time. So this is just some general thoughts I have about this issue. Dr. Fong, you may not have the answer to this question, but it seems to me in most places where gambling is legal and, and they have their casinos, they uh, they were awarded licenses to do that with promises to use the funds for uh, for taxes for education. Uh, in, in many places, that hasn't happened. Is that uh, is that accurate? Well, it hasn't. It hasn't. I think it's just an odd partnership. Say, like why say? Gambling money should go to schools. It doesn't quite. They don't. They're not partners. Now here in California, of course, a lot of our lottery money goes to schools, but the budgets for schools are very large, and the lottery money is only a small portion of that. Instead, I, I, you know, people don't need to be coaxed to say, "Hey, gamble, and this will be a good thing for you," as a way of kind of assuage their guilt or take away any sort of issues of morality. I wish we could just be more transparent. No, gambling is going back to the state and. The state needs more revenues. This is a way for us not to have to tax you even more. And arguably, this is a behavior that should be taxed, just like alcohol and tobacco and really any other uh, potential product that does have a, uh, a public health side effect. So I think that's the real, uh, real essential part. So the transparency is there. And I wish they wouldn't make those linkages because if somehow – Casinos were meant to be the primary funding source of education for our schools, and that would be a different sort. But they're not, and they're, they're a very small percentage of, of school budgets. And, uh-huh. and for your information, um, Illinois, in Illinois, um, lottery lottery uh, revenue goes toward public schools as well as capital projects. So it does go toward Illinois' infrastructure. In Missouri, it goes toward public schools. And a lot of states have something like that. But again, how much is it, is it, is it really doing? Another interesting, our time is winding down, but another interesting point in, in your series is, uh, is pointing out that the military uh, has access to slot machines on their overseas bases. And uh, our GIs have an opportunity to gamble as much as they like uh, that way. That's true. When I lived overseas, I watched them as the, they would come in every day. They would adjust the machine so that it didn't pay off as much as it had been. 
they can be manipulated that way. That, too, is another part of the story. have to leave it at that. Dr. Fonk, thank you so much for being with us and uh, sharing your expertise with us. It's a pleasure to meet you uh, over the phone. Holly, thank you so thank much you. for being with us. Online, stlpublicradio.org, you can find Holly's and the other stories. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.